You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, everybody. I am Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. On this week's episode, I am joined by the legendary NoFX drummer, Eric Smelly. This episode was recorded back on June 1st, and while we were recording it, uh, about an hour in, we lost a connection with Eric Smelly as his computer died. Now, when we came back, we were able to finish the interview, but for the last half hour, the audio that I was recording uh, went awry. So you're going to notice in the last half hour a change in audio. I had to switch over to the Zoom audio where uh, I was using a mic that was a little further off. So my voice changes quite a bit. Eric stays uh, relatively the same, so it's not too bad. Um, But just want to give you a heads up on that. I apologize for the change in audio at the end there. But I think you're going to enjoy the episode as much as I did anyway. We had a blast. We talked about everything, Eric, everything, no effects. Um, my fandom, my very first album or CD rather that I bought uh, was uh, no effects SM Airlines. I shared that information with him. And we just talked about everything, man. Uh, Eric has become a good friend of the band uh, and Matt Shadows and everything. So, you know, hanging out uh, with him on Warp Tour. Uh, to you know he mentions that he was uh, golfing with uh, M not too very long ago Um, so yeah you know this guy has become a good friend very interesting conversation we talk about everything he opened up a lot um, a lot of the stuff that he had in his chapters in the no effects book which I strongly recommend you guys go check out Um, but yeah he opened up for for this interview and talked a little bit about that his relationship with Fat Mike and maybe a little bit of a secret song that uh, I think you guys will enjoy hearing about and hopefully will come out sometime soon. Anyway, without further ado, I bring you Eric Smelly of No Effects. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thank you so much for checking out, and I hope you guys are all safe and healthy wherever you are in the world. Much love. Everything's uh, fucked up right now. 2020 does not look like the year in our history that we're going to want to look back at fondly. But you're here, you're watching, you're getting away from that right now. I appreciate you. I also want to say how much I appreciate Sweet Drop CBD. These guys sent me some of this stuff out. It's all organic. There's a lot of things about CBD or cannabis oil that are out there. A lot of uh, misinformation about what it can do. It doesn't alter your brain. If you think that, that's step one, you're wrong. Everything else, it, it, it does help. It's kind of like a, a health supplement in a way. And you can find all this out by going to sweetdrop.com and it's just all spelled out there for you there's no bullshit and if you use drinks with johnny as a promo code that's promo code drinks with johnny you're going to end up getting 20 percent off your first order i'm going to start this episode off with a little sweet drop that's my favorite flavor right there it's blood orange it's pretty fucking good and as i said it's not going to change like your mood or anything like that it helps your brain it's a it's a health supplement Go learn about it and then head to sweetdrop.com and use the promo code DRINKSWITHGENIE. You get 20% off. I love the fucking product. You're going to love it too. Now today on this episode, I'm fucking super excited. This is like, I don't even know how this happens. I'm about to talk to one of the living legends of No Effects, and 
I'm about to tell him he doesn't even know about the the fact that my first ever purchased record was a no effects record uh, before we even knew each other. And yeah, let's just let's bring him on. How's it going, Eric Smelly? How you doing, man? Dude, I didn't know. I mean, that's fucking bad. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's cool. That's uh, that's humbling and um, just makes me feel makes my my balls tingle a little in a weird way. <laughs> So where you okay? Before we get into all that, we're gonna take a deep dive into all this shit, our our friendship between other guys and everything like that, and my fandom. Um, but right now, you're in Long Beach, and right. on this day that is June first, there's a lot of shit happening in LA County. Um, I, I first of all, I have to ask your 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 family, your friends, everyone there in Long Beach. Is, everyone's okay, correct? Yeah, we're good. The, the looting got probably within a mile of my house last night. And wow. then I own a small business in an area kind of in, a, in the cool little hipster zone, a little boxing gym. And that neighborhood got hit last night. But we, we, didn't, we went unscathed. Wow. My, part, my partner and a couple other people were like kind of patrolling the neighborhood, scaring off the creeps from doing what they got to do. It's fucked because the neighborhood that they hit is just owned by mom and pa, a lot of immigrants, a lot of just like people from the community man and they're just devastating them yeah no i mean it's that's that's the problem like i understand the frustration i've talked about it a little bit on my platform and i think most of my fans know where i stand on it it's it's fucking awful like everything that's gone down is awful but looting your local uh businesses isn't the answer that's two steps back like the I mayor uh, the mayor of long beach last night went on air and said a lot of the arrests they've made are from people from out of town that are just yeah. just being you know opportunistic and just following the protests and then yeah they're using that as a mask to do fucking uh illegal shit that's that's all they're which doing. which takes the power away from the protest it, it, absolutely it, it it takes the you know, it, it goes from like a protest with, with a very just cause to, oh, look at these fucking people looting. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, and it, it, old, gives, it, gives, it gives fire to people who shouldn't have fire right now. Like people who are going to say that this is stupid and blah, blah, blah. Now they have, now they have ammunition. Like that's it's just, yeah, it's just it stupid. It gives fire to the fucking racist asshole Americans. See, yeah. You know, it's, it's fucked up. I mean, I get the animosity. I get the anger. I can never understand it because I grew up white, you know, yeah. I can never understand what it would we, feel we like. We will never understand that. And that's part of it. Then understanding that is the best that we can right. do. Right. I will never know what it's like to walk into a grocery store and have people automatically look at me and go, oh, is he going to steal something? You know what I mean? Like just that. Wait, 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 thing. Eric, I, 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 I have to bring that back. No one's looked at you going into a store. And thought well, you might because steal maybe something. the way I was dressed as a little punk rock kid, <laughs> not just because of the color of my skin. Not because of the color of your skin. Like clarify that. Not because of the color of the skin, right. but just, just being Eric, you, you probably got a couple of looks. Oh, those things. <laughs> Rare, few and far between. <laughs> few and far between. Ah, uh, dude. So, so anyways, everything, everything's good, man. It's you know we survived a lot of bangs and a lot of crap like uh, fireworks and gun sounds last night and, and and I heard that here in Huntington Beach too yeah. there was and there sirens was, but, you know. yeah I mean where they they had a protest down here in Huntington yesterday and everything ended up peaceful it was great but everyone was prepared because they had seen what happened in L.A. and Chicago and Minneapolis, all these other places in the country and around the world. There's been protests around the world too. I don't know if you saw that but like in canada and 
and uh, England yeah, no, is also my, protesting. My like, sister lives in Berlin, and she called me yesterday morning, and she's like, "There's protests going on in Berlin." Yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't just an America thing. Like everyone's like coming together, which is oh. great. In if there's going to be a silver lining, I just hope at the end of all this shit that there actually is some kind of change because I've lived through it before, like the LA riots, you have too, where it you expected change to happen afterward and it kind of did, but it kind of didn't. It wasn't like nothing really changed then. No. And no, it's unfortunate. That, Dr. Martin Luther King had a quote that I heard the other day that, that I, it resonated with me. It said, rioting is is the voice for those that are unheard. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't make it so okay. And yes, there's fucking assholes. But some of it is just like, you know, what happens when you got a, a two-year-old that can't express their feelings or you're not listening? Yeah. They fucking they lose their shit. You yeah. Know? So I mean, I don't I don't condone it. I don't condone at all the, the people that are being opportunistic, but but the, but you understand the the other the other people who actually are protesting right now for a good like cause. Wonders. And uh, if, you know, again, not condoning rioting, but understanding the frustrations and yeah. that the peaceful protests that have been going on for so many years now in different avenues haven't really changed anything. But for me, in my lifetime, I have never seen it globally protested this way. I've, I, I've seen racial protests before, as I mentioned in the LA riots, but I have never seen it in multiple cities like this. Have yeah. you ever seen it in multiple cities like this? The riot, uh, the LA riots were kind of like that. You know, it, well, it went on. I was, I was pretty young. I was, I was about seven or eight years old. So I, yeah, I, I, was, I remember them, but I wasn't like. <laughs> seven or eight, I was pushing 30. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, it was, it was. Um, that's not to show your age. That's just show your legendary status. That's. <laughs> ah, thank you very much. No, it was, yeah, it, it was nationwide. I mean, not like, yeah, it, 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 it went off in other cities for sure. Okay. So, yeah, you just taught me there. I like that because, I, I, like I said, I mean, I was only watching what was happening in L.A. My dad was working in L.A. at the time, and I remember us watching the L.A. riots happening on TV and uh, waiting for him to come home. Because this was before cell phones, too, so it wasn't like he could like, keep calling us and letting us know he was fine. He's like, I'm leaving the shop right now. I'll be home when I can get home. And he just kind of had to sit there and wait. It's sublime sings about it. That song, it goes, says like, uh, whatever, May 1992, there was a riot in the streets. Where were you? And yeah. it goes off and names a bunch of cities in the middle of the song, in the bridge of the song. Oh. That, that shit went down in. <coughs> That's fucking, yeah. Well, you're teaching me. And you've taught me a lot over the years, uh, unbeknownst to you. Like I said at the beginning of the show, this is a true story. I had already heard uh, Punk and Trublick that was playing on my older brother's CD player all the time. I was a huge fan of Punk and Trouble. It's still, to this day, probably my favorite NoFX record. Um, obviously, because it's the first one that I heard, and you, you have yeah. a kinship to that no. moment. That one is where everything kind of really came together. It really, it really did. So, I mean... I get it. I get it. You know, we've, yeah. put, we've put some shit out since then. Oh, yeah. It's been... Oh, no. And we're going to get into all that <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, I, I mean, good shit. I, I love all of it. No effects. No. I, I, okay. We'll just... Let, let's start off by this. 
First time I had a dollar to spend, there was a warehouse around the corner, walking distance from my house. I walked down with enough money for two CDs. I already had Punkin' Trublick from my brother. I was gonna steal that from him anyway. And then I was like, I wanna hear more No Effects. I first grabbed, I have to be honest, Green Day's Dookie, because that was hot as shit right there. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> that's a great record. It is a great record. I I, I love that, that and record. And if you're like a little teeny, like pre-teen, teen thing, that's a great way to get introduced, introduced into it. Yeah, I was, I was 11 years old, I think. I was yeah. in fifth grade. So like it was right around this time. And then I saw a no effects little slot as they used to be. I, mean, I don't know how many people watching this now understand what a CD slot was, <laughs> but like it was, it was lined up and there was only three or four no effects records. And the one that I gravitated towards was S&M Airlines. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I saw the cover of the chick riding the plane and I was like, well, I like Puckin' Trublick. This looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm one of the I'm one of the fans that I I I've, I've heard Mike talk about it. I've heard other people talk about your guys' earlier years, and you don't speak fondly upon them. And S and M Airlines is kind of falls into that category. But like for me, I was like, oh, that record was fucking great. Every time I hear you guys talk about it, you're like, ah, the early years kind of fucking sucked. And I was like, no, we that was a great that, record. We recorded, we recorded that record in a weekend. And I did my drum tracks, I'm pretty sure, all in one day. Like, you know, 12 songs in one day. <laughs> and it, it was just like, throw and go. You know, the mics are on, this fucking go for it. So there's mistakes all over the place. But you like don't, the, okay, but it's it's punk rock, man. I never saw those mistakes. I still, when I listen to those records, I don't hear those mistakes. You guys okay. hear it, but I don't hear those mistakes. Okay, listen to that song, Day to Days, okay? okay. And then... Yeah, it's on that record. Okay, the opening roll. I think the second roll in the song, like I almost dropped the drumstick, and the roll was like, and then I come back in on the song. Like you know, we just did not. Oh, that's fine. Let's just go to the next one. There's fucking mistakes on my my part in there to where I. Oh, now I got to listen back to that because like I felt so I felt like listening to No Effects over all the years I have that you guys kind of leave the mistakes on purpose. I thought that was like kind of the purposeful thing because there's a lot of things like even, I mean, even you go to like uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes, there's like, fuck ponies, fuck. <laughs> and then the song starts, you know, it's like yeah. all that shit. Like you guys have always like embraced that. You know, we've always like, we were never that good of musicians, you know, and and we were always, cheap and unrehearsed and just we still do it like fly by the seat of the parents like you want to do this do it okay let's do it let's do it tomorrow you know not being prepped so all of the all of our records that i pretty much learned the songs either in the studio right before we record or just a few days beforehand so i'm still struggling to find out where i feel where, where i could put shit where i could relax where where the song goes so that tension that makes that, it that, even that more masterful to me because like, like like we we in events we prep everything like like when we yeah. go into the studio as you know i'm sure you've talked to matt a lot i know you guys are golf buddies for a while there like we 
demo everything fucking out. I even, I even talked to Brooks. He's like, yeah, man, like everything is, when we go in, we know exactly what we're playing, how we're playing it, and when, when you know, everything. Yeah. Us, it is a fucking shit show. And that's the way our tours are shit shows. Our, our, like you, that's kind of like the beauty of it. Our shows, like we at our shows, and I'm sure you've seen plenty of them, one might be fucking phenomenal, and the next one is just like, what the fuck are these guys doing? You know <laughs> I never, I, mean? I never get the what are these guys doing because you guys are very vocal about the fact that you are bombastic in that in, in that sense, and you just fucking go, yeah, let's see what happens. And I, I, I think that is one of the most things that I could respect, and that that's like. Oh my God, that is like my punk rock heart. That's like what I want to do, but I don't have the talent that you guys do to do it that way. I have to fucking like prep. <laughs> I, you know, I'm kind of like you in a way, like I'm in the middle. Mike is just, ah, it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fun. You know what I mean? And Melvin's just like, okay, whatever, just go with the flow. And I'm kind of like, I want to know what I'm doing and where we're going and how we're going to, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I need to kind of see a line. So it's kind of stressful on my end at times of, of the, ah, it'll be fine attitude. Whether it's, we don't rehearse before tours. We go yeah. on tour, let's say we haven't and played. And being the drummer, that's gotta be even, I mean, you're, you're the one setting the pace for everything. Like, I know There's how that, that is. Yeah, we don't, re like we go, we have, let's say we haven't played in six months. We got a show coming up. Our rehearsal will be sound check that day, just to make sure the equipment works. Then after that, it's the shows of the shows. Dude, that, yeah, fucking that's, that's fucking gnarly. That is, uh, I love that and I respect that so much because I'm just like, I almost, I, you almost want that in a lot of ways. Because I'm like, I, like, you're just saying how it's stressful for you. But in my mind, I'm like, God, if I could just let go like that, that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> but it has to be a happy medium, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Like, like, like let's say we had five rehearsals before a tour, five two-hour rehearsals. Run through, run through the 20 songs, 30 songs you're going to play. You know, whatever, cool. Like, Bad Religion goes in a week before, and they end up play every day for a week. You know, what do you guys do? <sighs> Fucking probably longer than, than that. that. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I mean, on. like, we'll, we'll do, we'll probably do, like, a week or two before we go out on tour somewhere uh, locally, and then wherever the tour starts, we'll do a couple of days there. I mean, we have all that production and everything, too, that our crew needs to set up and we need, I mean, right now our fucking roadies are fucking struggling. And, uh, if anyone's watching right now or listening, have a road, just put in roadie strong on your thing. And if you can donate, just go over there and do that. Cause as you know, there's a lot of people right now who are living day to day and oh, they're Jesus. not on a, and they're not on the road right now. And like you and I are fine, but there's, there's people that we employ that like we, that, jump from one band to another and find another gig here and there. And right now there's no gigs for them to jump to. So they're just kind of fucked. No, at all. Period. Yeah. Period. Like the, the, they are out overnight out of work or yeah. however long it lasts. Yeah. And, then, have, and there's no way. So a lot of times, like, I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, I don't really know that history of your guys' touring. But as you say right now, I imagine, have you guys had to like cancel tours before or anything like that? Before in the in the past, yeah, uh, we canceled one South American tour because, yeah, we canceled one South American tour because shit was getting kind of sketchy, mm -hmm. and then no, we 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 
we ended two tours early because Mike got really sick on one, and then he blew his knee out on another one. So okay. We, so just we, a, just know, a just a couple, but like yeah, my like my, my point shows. to that yeah, my point to that is like when you have to cancel shows or have to cancel a tour, there's still a, a, a sense for these roadies to get back out on the road sooner than later. Right now, there's no fucking idea when that's gonna happen. Like, a lot of people can speculate and say, oh, this is how they're going to make concerts happen. This is how they're going to make concerts happen. We don't know. You can't, you can't just throw that shit out there like, like it's fucking fact. We have no idea how concerts are going to happen again right now. And, and some, some countries or states or cities or whatever do open up the gates and say, okay, you can have shows. What's the capacity of the venue going to be at? You know, yeah. and then let's say the venue can only hold 50%. You know, that means the band guarantee is way down. Can't afford to pay the guys their, their rate because, you know, we still have the same expenses, but there's less money. It's, it is a lot of moving parts, man. The Spike. worst domino theory. It's not even theory. It's domino yeah. fact. There yes. is. Yeah. And that's, that, that's the whole thing. That's why I say to everyone, we, we teamed up with uh, the guys in Hailstorm for the Rody Strong um, thing, Foundation where we're trying to help a lot of the a lot of the guys that are off the road right now by floating them some money to keep keep doing what they're doing and hopefully we get back sooner than later in some capacity as you mentioned it's like what is that capacity we don't even fucking know it's so far up in the air that like did you guys have to cancel shit because of this not because of this uh we had to cancel a tour uh that we were going to do uh in the summer of 2018 and we've been off the road since uh just writing and working 18 yeah that's why I'm podcasting, man. I got I'm fucking twiddling my thumbs over here. <laughs> all right. I mean, I, I, I get, you know, bands need time off and all that stuff to, to reset and you know, whatever, all that kind of shit. That's a long fucking time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, we usually come off the road and we did it the same way. We come off the road and we start writing. And we're not gonna get back on the road until we're done writing and producing the record. Usually that takes a certain amount of time, and then there's other factors that came in along the way this time that that extended it. But like, yeah, it was just, and then of course the the factor that fucked everybody in the world with the coronavirus. Now, we, like, we're sitting there like going, well, <laughs> all right. So you guys do the you guys do the proper thing: write a record, release the record, tour that cycle, come back yeah. home, take a break, start it all over again. Absolutely, rinse and repeat. <laughs> We don't fucking do that. <laughs> we'll release a record. What is the no effects process then? There is none. We'll release a record <laughs> and not tour for two years and then then release two records while we're on one. I mean, it's just, there's just no rhyme or reason. There's no fucking cycle. There's no anything. But that's, just, but oh God, I'm so envious of that though, because that is what makes no effects, no effects and the legendary punk band. I, I, for me, and I've said this in circles uh, amongst my friends, and I don't know how you or any of the rest of the guys would take it, but No Effects is the Beatles of punk rock to me. Whoa! Like, they, the way you guys yeah. fucking put, put shit together is, it's epic. It's fucking epic. And then the, the casual sense that you get, even just listening to it, it just feels so real and raw that way. Because you guys are very casual about it, you don't. You may not even realize how real and raw the record sounds to a fan or something like that. Like it's 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 genuine. Like when I hear the, when I hear Mike singing his, uh, his lyrics, an awesome lyricist, and 
I feel like I know Mike and I've, I've met Mike a few times, but I don't know Mike, like, right. but I feel like I know him through his lyrics. I feel like I know you from the way that you play drums, even on a fucking record. I feel like I've heard all those things. Like, that's what I mean by the Beatles of, uh, of punk rock. Thank you, man. I mean, that's, that's big ass. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a, hell of a compliment, man. That really is. <laughs> Beatles to me are my all time favorite songwriters. Yeah. Those fucking guys. And that's where it comes from. It comes from you guys' songwriting. Like, the, the way you guys have... You know, you downplay it every time. Like, We're just not that good at playing music. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I've transcribed plenty of no effect songs in my life. You know what the fuck you're doing. You know how to play fucking music. <laughs> like, that's well, not... Mike, there's, there's this. Mike writes all the songs. Okay. And none of us are trained musicians. None of us have ever taken lessons. None of us are anything. So with that, there's a freedom of writing what feels good. You're not, you, you don't have boundaries. You don't have like, oh, this fifth can't go against this, you know, all this kind of weird yeah. technical bullshit. Oh, what's going on, everyone? Brando here. Haven't been around for a while because I am busy. You know, I'm working five jobs to feed 10 kids. And when it comes to dinner, I'm just looking for an easy way out. But there is a great thing that I have found to make my day a little easier. Factor Meals. Right now, I've got a black pepper and sage pork chop. I'm gonna eat it right here on air with you because I want you to hear in real time how good this thing really is. So it's got a nice little sauce on it, nice grill marks. Like this thing is ready to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 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 shoot. This is some quality, quality pork right here. The nice thing is, it's healthy. The amount of protein in this meal is broken down for me on the side of the package. I don't even have to worry about it. I know once I eat this whole thing, my macros are gonna be in balance. This is, this is where I need it. This is good. Oh my God. It took two minutes for me to microwave this thing. All I had to do was sign up. Meals get shipped right to my house every week. They have a wide selection to choose from. Dude, they had dill crusted chicken. They had chili. If you wanna check it out, head over to factormeals.com slash drinkswithj50 and use code drinkswithj50 to get 50% off. That's code drinkswithj50 at factormills.com slash drinkswithj50 to get 50% off. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful, but so is this meal. So I'm gonna keep eating it because, man, this is good. So maybe that has something to do with it. I think that has a huge part of the do with it. Right, like, like you just write what feels good or what sounds good. But for me, like I'm not one to talk our shit up. I'm going to say we have some really good stuff and I'm going to say we have a lot of really bad shit. I'm not one of those guys that's going to go like, you know, every time you talk to them, they're like, oh, we're the fucking this, we're that, we're this, we're that. Like, I think The Decline is a perfect song to yeah, me. Yeah, I would agree. You know, start to finish, it takes you on this fucking epic journey. But then a lot of shit in between there is just two minute fillers until that one song comes out. You yeah. know? And one of those one songs that came out that completely shape-shifted everything that I, that I thought about music. I was, my dad was growing me up on metal. My mom was growing me up on pop. I had Michael Jackson in one ear and Metallica in the other. And until I heard Lenovo. Oh, that makes sense why you guys sound the way you do. <laughs> <laughs> you got the yeah. fancy stage wear, but then you got the fucking scary music. <laughs> Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but like when we get, uh, then when I get uh, to fifth and sixth grade, I hear Linoleum for the first time. And then you guys did, uh, you guys, or Mike, I guess, probably hated playing it so much that you guys did the, the, the new Linoleum, right? Is that yeah. out yet? I know that, I know that our boys played on it. Well, yeah, we recorded that 
this is this is how fucking weird we are. We record. I recorded those drum tracks a year and a half ago, January first, nineteen, two thousand eight. Yeah. Oh, oh, and this is how weird we are too. Mike calls me up four days beforehand. He goes, "Oh, dude, I got us. We're recording a new record in four days." I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? I don't even know the song. <laughs> We're recording a new record. Be up here. Bill Stevenson's already booked. He had everybody else booked, but he didn't even run it by me. I was on a family <laughs> vacation in Mammoth that we do every fucking year for New Year's. Yeah. So I'm like, what the that's fuck? That's a great vacation. That, that, that's that's got to be a fun vacation, though, on the side note. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, I rest down. We fucking do this record. It's fucking stressful. It's gnarly. I don't know the songs. The songs are complicated. All this kind of shit. A year and a half later, the shit's still not out. <laughs> so yeah, that's so that's what I was, I was gonna ask. Like, I'm gonna see uh, a couple of the boys later, talk to a couple of the boys later, and I was gonna ask them again. I'm just gonna ask you. Like, I know that they played those uh, guitar licks on them, those guitar solos, and, and I was like, when is that song gonna come out? Dude, they fucking tore that shit up too. <laughs> they really did. You know, to be honest, we. Um, I don't think it's coming out on the record. <laughs> fucking even better. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna talk to them later and be like, I talked to Eric and you. You wasted the time. You wasted your fucking time. <laughs> I, I, because because the record has this real, um, God, I don't know, kind of dark, powerful feel to it, and that song's upbeat. I mean, there's lots of fast songs on the record, but it's a little darker, mm -hmm. and that song's sort of campy kind of goofy in a, in a weird it way. Is. It, 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 I, I heard the song when they when the boys were recording right. that the solos on it. That it from the mood of the other songs. Yeah. So it'll, it'll come out as a single or something like that down the line. But, but I mean, that, that, that idea behind it, though, was like the, the antithesis for linoleum because you're fucking tired of having to play linoleum is fucking hilarious to me. That is no effects to me. Like, that's like, that's, that, that's the shit that I love. Yeah, like it's, it's like I am purposely ruining this song with the same music, but I'm gonna fucking sing about stupid shit and retire it after you hear this. <laughs> and I love that you use uh, Zacky and Sinister in <laughs> in destruction of linoleum. <laughs> yeah, like just fucking over the top noodling that's out of control. Before uh, we really crossed paths, uh, well, we we had crossed paths on the Warp tours and stuff yeah, like that. You but guys we, first started touring. That was probably that what, was our first dude on 2003 when No Effects and Rancid was on Warp tour. And we were on the uh, what's his name? Ernie, not Ernie. Well, yeah, not Ernie Ball. The the other one. Um, you Maurice, on a... the Maurice stage. Okay. We were, we were on the Maurice stage most of it and watching No Effects and Rancid. I had just joined the band. I don't know if you know this. The band formed in 1999. I joined in 2002. We made uh, Wake in the Fallen and then went on Warp tour. That was our, it was like my first real tour. And being the huge punk rock fan that I was, I was on fucking Warp Tour with No Effects and Rancid, and I was like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" I was, I wasn't old enough to drink yet, um, but I did, and I was a little nineteen-year-old fucking shit hanging around like the all these, like you remember, you know how uh, Warp Tours. You did probably way more than we did. I think we've done somewhere between nine and eleven of them, somewhere in there. Yeah, fuck. I mean, that's a lot of fucking warp doors. We pretty much did every other year since 1996. You know, and then we yeah. stopped 2010, I think. So whatever that is, I don't know. Yeah. No, it was I a lot remember, of them. 
Dude, that, yeah, those, those those hangs though were I I I tell I didn't go to college. I dropped out of high school. Those were my college years. Was going to Warped Tour and learning the ropes from all all of you guys in this punk rock world. And everyone was so fucking cool. That's the that's the thing that like I couldn't wrap my head around around. At the, I'm a 19 year old kid at the time. I couldn't wrap my head around that. That's fucking cool about punk rock. I mean, I'm sure it's sort of the same in some ways in the metal world, but also probably not. It, there's a camaraderie, man. There's not a whole lot of egos and attitudes. There's not a whole lot like not a whole lot of I'm better than you, kid. Yeah. I'm the head. You know, that's the last dude. We are all people at the end of the day. We all get pimples on our ass. We all fucking you <laughs> we know, all send pictures of each other taking shits. Right. I mean, like that's... You know, there's no room for ego. And, yeah. and, and, and in music, we're just lucky to be able to tour and make a living or even just tour and have it pay for itself or even lose money. Because that is you. If you get to do that, you won the lottery in music. Most musicians sit in their fucking garages and don't get out because it's just, it's really hard. Yeah. You know, so the Warp Tour was just a group of people that I feel were just peers. You know, you, some bands are more popular than others. There's bands coming up, there's bands going down. But we're, at the end of the day, when the show's done, everybody's just hanging out, drinking beer and throwing fucking fireworks at each other. It's just fun. Yeah. There's no, there's no. That either. was, I mean, that I couldn't. I couldn't appreciate Warped Tour more uh, for our band and even just myself. I'll even speak for just myself. Like that shaped the rest of our career in so many ways. That camaraderie yeah. after we load out, and then everyone has the <clears throat> the barbecues, the beers, the, the you know you got Lyman who's who's heading the whole thing, just hanging out with everybody and hitting golf balls into a fucking lake, like just. And, and seeing that, it just really shaped, uh, you know, what ego we could have or would have had. had we right, not and, and Steve, Steve Van Doren, the owner oh, of yeah. Van's Tennis Shoes, uh, probably at the time, probably 65 years old, a guy in the dirt with the kids every day, just fucking happy. And then at the barbecue, serving up hot dogs and stuff like that, you know. But yeah, I'll tell you this. It's cool that you guys had that platform to start touring on. Absolutely. Because a lot of bands, us included, and, and all that, we just would just get in a van and roll into a city and play parties or play a gas station or play a record store or whatever. Maybe we'll roll into a city and just try and figure it out. Like, where are we going to play? It is really cool that punk rock had, had, had built a foundation enough to where bands that had a little buzz could have a platform to play in front of 2,000 people every fucking day. Yeah. And really elevate this like you guys started off i remember the first time i saw you guys and then a couple years later i was like holy fuck they've tripled in size they, they're actually yeah. headlining shows yeah i mean that that happened like we were my first tour was a co-headlining tour with the treyu with the guys it was a two-week tour up and down the west coast and i say co-headlining like we were headliners but we were there was a couple of shows that were in front of a few hundred people, but there was also a couple of shows I remember that were in front of 15 people. So it was like, it was, it, it, we still weren't doing anything yet. And then the right. Warp Tours that we did a couple of years after that, really, they absolutely gave us a platform. That's where we got signed to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers came out to a Warp Tour, fed oh, us on one of the stages, and that's how we fucking signed to Warner Brothers. Did they hear about you guys and come out and check you out? Or did yeah. they just stumble across and go, oh, look at these fucking creepy looking dudes? Um, it, I think it was a little bit of both, to be honest. Andy Oliphant, who is still one of our very good friends. Yeah, he's no longer an A&R agent, obviously. But he, uh, he was the one that brought Warner. He was out on Warp Tour kind of checking things out. 
and uh, he'd heard some things. Um, so he's like, okay, let me go check out this Avenged Sevenfold thing, see what it's all about. And then he brought in Craig Aronson, rest in peace, and Tom Wally, who then came out. And I remember having a meeting in a, in a fucking trailer, one of the Warp Tours, like in the middle of the day. And that was like my first time meeting Tom Wally, the CEO of fucking Warner Music. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. It's, it's pretty gnarly that those guys saw enough in our genres of music to go out in the middle of fucking wherever the fuck they were, hang out in the dust and the dirt just to scope out these bands. Yeah, no, it's ins- it's insane. I don't know. I, it, it sucks because I don't know that that's the way that it happens anymore. I don't. I, I'm. I just don't fucking know anymore. Well, what how, kind of music? How, well, I mean, yes, there's probably some organic factors of music, but I don't know of of it happening really organically anymore. No, I, I, I don't know either. Like, I, 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 we're talking to the wrong people. We need to get like someone who's like 20 years old on here and fucking tell us what's up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, finger, my finger's way off the pulse of what's <laughs> you know? I know that I love technology and it's, it, it, I've adapted to it this way. I haven't, like, I've adapted to it in my home studio and doing the podcast, but I still don't know how you, I'm thankful that I have already made, had some success. Because I don't know how you get it now. Like, I don't know if right. I had to start over right now. I don't know how that happens. Yeah. Oh, I got a question to ask you. Yeah, man. About four years ago, I'm going to guess, Matt sent me a video from a wedding of, of some band playing Leave It Alone, or maybe it was you guys, or... Oh, or... no, no. It was, uh, yeah, it was our uh, our good friend, Cam, uh, Cam Rackham. He's a great artist. Um, he's done a lot of art for us and he's been a friend from like high school. Like he's been, he's a lifelong friend. Um, we did, we were, we didn't do it, but there was a, a, a punk rock cover guy playing shit on acoustic guitar on this boathouse that we did. He did some bad religion stuff. He did leave it alone. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what it was. I was, and we, I was were like, all, we were all drinking. I, knew, I, I was there when Matt was like, I'm going to send this to Eric. And he sent it like right then after he recorded it, and it was yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then and then that that took me down the rabbit hole, and then I saw that you guys had had covered like I guess maybe it was Warp Tour or some outdoor shows, Linoleum a few times. We did Linoleum quite a few times actually. So it started when we were, uh, you know, the uh, slide bar in Fullerton. We did like a random. Uh, I think it was for to boost the release of an album or something, but we did like a surprise concert there. We let people know like a few hours before that we were going to be there, right. and then we just went up and we played a bunch of shit and we did some covers. And one of the covers was Linoleum, and like it was, it was so much fucking fun to play the song that like like for all of us, and not just me. Like I could this time I can actually speak for my friends. Linoleum was like the, the song of our generation. Like, like everyone here in Southern California was just like, you all knew Linoleum. Like that was the fucking staple. If you, if you were even kind of into punk rock, you knew Linoleum. And that was like a song that when we were like, hey, let's do a cover of that. I was like, perfect, I already know it. I, I transcribed that when I was 12 years old. <laughs> so maybe it's quite appropriate that you guys helped put it in the grave. <laughs> exactly. Rest in peace, linoleum. Avenged like, killed it with their fucking spooky guitar. As we lit. kill everything, it's like we 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 threw in grills like right at the end when grills were about to die, and we put them on and went to the VMAs. You guys like did not do grills. Oh, we did. 
<laughs> we killed those too, dude. We're the killers. I, uh, well, not the band, but we're the. I mean, we're <laughs> yeah. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so I got to ask you this. And, and, and you guys are fucking a great band, great musicians and all that shit. But is there a sense of parody inside of your band too? How, how so? Like the name and I'm not the name, like, like. Johnny Christ and Matt Shadows. Oh yeah, absolutely. That that comes that that comes from it's it's kind of a meld of like Guns and Roses and you guys, frankly, with like fucking all different right. names. It's like it's like, Mo Molly, so like Crew. Molly Crew, all these things. So, so like in the '80s, it was like more serious fake names, and then you guys come around with the funny fake names. So it's somewhere in between. I feel. I I think it's like. Johnny Christ. I mean, obviously that's short for Jonathan Christmas, you know. So. <laughs> Only my mother calls me that. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Matthew Christmas. <laughs> Only, when you, Only when she's mad at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I don't know. Where did I mean, Smelly come from then? Like, like, uh, you you bring out the names. Where did Smelly come from? I was a fucking little shitty fucking drunk, stinky, stinky farting, acid-eating fuckhead. I just stunk. <laughs> And okay, here's, here's where it really. I can relate to that. I was that actually is, the guy in the van that that got kick, kicked out a few times because I was stinking up the van. And they're like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Okay, so, so so here, this is this is. I mean, what I just said is the truth, but this is where it really stemmed from. I was on tour. I think I touched on this in the book too. We were on tour, and I caught VD from some girl. Okay. Like I stuck. Which one specifically? Which girl? No, I mean, I know, I don't expect you to remember that. Which, <laughs> which, which Non-gonococcal urethritis or something like that. It oh. was, it's, it's, no, it's just a standard little fucking infection in your inner hole. Okay. It sounds, it sounds like you're familiar with this stuff. I'm not. <laughs> but I'll think you know, Oh, which one? Let me check my list. <laughs> Let's see yeah. if we can hang out together. So, so, so this is about two weeks before our tour is ending, maybe a week before tour is ending. And I got a girlfriend at home. And this is in the late late 80s. And I got a girlfriend at home. I'm like, oh, fuck. This is, how am I going to explain this? I'm coming home with a fucking venereal disease. Right? <laughs> that, that just doesn't, that doesn't happen on its own. That sounds like a very scary nightmare. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, good thing that I've had it in the past. So I know that they prescribe, I've had the same thing in the past. They described tetracycline. It's, you know, it's an antibiotic and it kills ED. When I was a kid, I had fish tanks. And if the fish tanks got fungus in them, you throw in tetracycline. So I knew that if I went to the fish store, they sell it over the counter at the fish store. I that, can buy tetracycline. So that I bought, is fucking amazing. <laughs> I, I went into a fish store. I bought a bunch of tetracycline and I just started eating it. And then that tetracycline... It cleared out the VD for sure, but what it did is it gave me the fucking gnarliest gas for so long. It was like, like weeks or days or like no, when you say like, long, like, like how long? Well, like, like I mean, as long as I took the touch cycling for like the week long cycle, oh, okay. and I was taking like three pills a day for like a week or whatever it may be. That um, it was so fucking bad that I would just sit in the back of the van, and that they would hear me start giggling, and then. All <laughs> You fucker! Getting punched. God damn it! And then two minutes later, I started going. <laughs> so okay, that that you're in the back of the van. With so I remember when we were in these uh, Econo vans doing warp tours, everything like that early in our career for 
fucking a lot of years early in our career. But we all had spots that we took in the van. What, where was your spot for the night? We didn't have that. We you didn't we have just, that? Wherever you ended up, you ended up. You That's know? amazing. So that, that, yeah. that, 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 again, everything you're saying just sums up no effects. It was just like, yeah, we just fucking, wherever we fucking passed out is where we passed out. <laughs> yeah. And then, we'll, yeah, we would, and then we would do like, we had an overnight drive. Somebody would drive two hours go to bed, wake up the next guy. He would drive two hours and it was just, just on down the line. But then, oh, that wasn't how we did it. I got, I, I had joined the band uh, as a young little shit and more often than not, it was, Johnny, you're driving. <laughs> I was like, but, but I, if you're driving a six-hour drive or eight-hour drive overnight and you're fucking whooped, that's not a good idea. No, I almost killed us a couple of times, to be honest. Awesome. There was a couple of times that I, I fell asleep at the wheel. Like, I literally did. And Jimmy... Our, our old drummer had to, he was sitting shotgun with me because it was, this actually happened. He was supposed to drive that night, but then he got drunk and he said, you drive. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> it's not like I really have a choice. And so in turn, instead of going to the back where he usually sits, he said, but I will sit up with you. And it, it had gone into the morning at that point and it was, broad daylight, probably 10 o'clock in the morning. We're probably trying to get to a warp tour, if I remember correctly. And I get woken up as I'm about to go into the oh, center geez. divider. And I went, oh, oh shit. And then someone not- woke up and took over. But like I'd been driving all night and everyone had been partying. And I was like, oh, this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's like a, a 19-year-old kid behind the wheel up all night, man. It's just no. not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, we looked at it. There was a few other stories I'm sure that'll come out over the podcast over the years of like how many Bayside bad Bayside had, Yeah, Bayside had that happen, and actually somebody passed away. Yeah, that's that. That's where it's like I'm laughing now because we came out okay, but like yeah, there's a lot of times like uh, that tragedies happen with bands traveling in their. Everyone knows the Econo van. If you've been in a band, you know the Econo van like that. Yeah that uh, 18 passenger van, and then you put a trailer on the back of it that weighs way too much for the trailer. And if you get up to 70 miles per hour, everything starts to shake and you're still going to the next fucking gig. And it's like, it's scary. It it is a recipe for disaster. And you throw a bunch of people in there, no one's seat belted or any of that kind of shit. And the amount of hours and miles you're driving, it it makes the the risk get higher and higher and higher. Absolutely. It's 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 kind of crazy. It's amazing that, that some of us, as ma- as many of us have gotten through it and are still here, and then it's really sad for the ones that haven't. You know, that's just fucking. You risk you risk a lot for music, is what it comes down to. <laughs> well, it's something we love to do. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. like, and it sounds like you guys were in the same boat as us. Like, we didn't tour to make money. We didn't tour to get popularity or fame. We toured just because we love to fucking play. Yeah, you know. We, we did like we we got we joined I mean we, we got together in 83 84 we'd been together a year maybe I think it was 84 we did our first tour you know we could barely play our instruments how, how did you guys meet though like like the the origin what was what was your first meet I mean you always you very alluded to like Mike's kind of the the man with the plan behind everything when did you first meet Mike and what was your first uh, I, 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 I mean I just remember the very 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 first night I met Mike there was this old punk club called the Cafe de Grand in, in uh, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it was just where all the punks used to go hang out, like 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. I think they closed in 84. Um, it was just go hang out. And, you know, there'd be band there. Every Tuesday night they had shows, Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday they had shows. So it was just this fucking place. So I would, I lived about 20 minutes from there. Mike lived about 20 minutes from there, but in the opposite direction. And right. Melvin lived like five minutes from there. He lived, he, Melvin's from Hollywood. And I'm hanging out back of the club, not inside the club, but out, you know, people would go and just hang out in the street. And uh, this fucking little shitty snot nosed skinny kid comes skating on up on a black flag skateboard. And I go, oh man, nice skateboard. And we just started chit chat. And that's how I met Mike. And I would, <laughs> I'm going to go. It's so funny because I've talked to Joe Escalante about uh, Mike on the early years too. I've had him on the show. We talked to him. He was like, he's like, yeah, the legendary punk rocker Mike was just a skinny little piece of shit fucking kid that I met on met at camp and like summer camp. Yeah, summer camp. <laughs> summer camp. Yeah, just you know, and and so yeah, I, sort of way, like our paths just crossed in the street behind a club, and we started chit chatting. And I think we were, I was 15 at the time because I didn't drive, but I was in an, another band and Mike had just started a band called uh, false alarm. Okay. And he's like, ah, he's like, ah, we're looking for a drummer, but I was in a band called caustic cause. And so I went and asked my mom, Hey mom, my friend, Mike, he lives in Beverly Hills. Wants to know if I could drum for him. And that was far, that was about 45 minutes from my house. And my mom would have had to have driven me. And she's like, no, it's too far, too uh -huh. far. Because the Costa Cause guys would come to our house and play. Gotcha. Yeah, Which well, you're the drummer. You're the one that has to, like, that, that's kind of how it starts. Uh, a lot of people who maybe aren't musicians listening to this, but like, yeah, like you always went to the drummer's house for, for yeah. the most part. Like all the garage bands that I was in and everything, like we, Dude. because you don't want to have to fucking move all the fucking equipment. But then as soon as I got my driver's license, I quit Costa Cause. And, and I remained friends with Mike, and then we started NoFX. That's fucking awesome. So, so NoFX, my my favorite punk rock fucking band, would have never happened unless you got your license. <laughs> if Mike had bought another skateboard, and it was just a shitty average skateboard, yeah. And I never what if you rolled, what if you rolled up with one of those like rainbow plastic skateboards, like oh, like I would have fucking ones. Look at this fucking poser, you know. <laughs> so, so it was all because of that black flag skateboard that no effects is together. I fucking love it. That's a great fucking story. I, I it's love that. true because that was the reason why I said, "Oh, hey, man, nice skateboard or whatever." You know, I approached the conversation with him. And then, okay, and then, so shortly, was Melvin already with Mike at that point? Or? No, Melvin wasn't with Mike, and and Melvin didn't know Mike. Okay, and, and then. I don't know exactly how they met. I think through a mutual friend, a guy named Dylan. So I, I didn't play with Mike in False Alarm. Yeah. I was in Costa Cause. I think Melvin and Mike met a year or two later and started No Effects. Okay. I had my driver's license and Mike called me. Gotcha. And then I was like, okay, cool. And then, then all three of us met. Okay, and then going back to the, the, the start of this conversation with S&M Airlines, I know that there was a guy named Albino that was on that record, uh, not uh, El Jefe, who's now, like, when did El Jefe come in? What, what, what was the deal with that Albino? I'm going by the CD. That okay, Albino was a guy named Dave Casillas. Okay. Dave Casillas was a legendary guitar player in the, in the 
Nardcore scene, from, like the Ventura County scene. Okay. He was in a band called Stalag 13. Okay. And, I feel yeah, like that, and, that, that sounds familiar. Yeah, and his, his name's Dave. And he was a pretty fucking good guitar player, good like lead guitar player at the time. So what happened is in 85, I moved to Santa Barbara. Out of high school, I moved to Santa Barbara. Just went up there and I was hanging out. Uh, Mike went to San Francisco for college and Melvin was still living in Hollywood. So we were split up between Hollywood, Santa Barbara, and San Francisco. And we would all meet in, in, uh, in Santa Barbara to play a show or this or that. We, weren't re- we were a band, but everybody was just doing their thing. We'd get together every now and again. I met Dave Casillas. Actually, we put flyers up on a wall. We decided we wanted a second guitar player. Oh, you Dave decided, like, we need a second one. Okay. Yeah. Dave it <laughs> from the legendary band Stalag 13 said, hey, man, I'll, I'll play with you guys. And he could fucking play. And yeah. he was an, uh, a name, you know? It would be like, like I mean, it's, it's, this is way bigger of a thing, but like when you guys were first starting, you know, Dave Mustaine was like, yeah, I'll play with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dave came in, and Dave was a fucking great guy, but... A, just a drunken wreck, just mm. a drunken wreck. So he lasted with us for probably two years. And then, okay. and then it was a mutual quit mutual. We never called him back after a tour. And then we got Steve who was on. Is that ribbed? Steve's on SNM airlines. Oh, he recorded some of that too, or like, uh... yeah, yeah, no. Steve was on all of SNM airlines. Dave was on liberal animation, liberal. Anim- okay. Maybe that's what, that's- yeah, yeah. That's Albino, I think. And then Steve came in, and he was like a metal guy that was going to that GIT, Guitar Institute of Technology. Yep. Just Where Sinister Gates went through. Anybody that wants to be like a bad metal guitar player goes there. <laughs> and it worked. Like Steve was a great musician. He was a great artist. He was a great guy. But he was a metal guy from the metal world, you know. And, and so he was with us for a couple of years. Guns N' Roses got big, Poisons got big, and he saw that he thought that the money and the fame was going was there. Yeah. He quit. He quit. We even were like, you know, we still weren't much of a band. We were touring occasionally. We were putting records out, but it was just a uh, hobby. Then, so he quit. And then El Jefe wait, wait, wait. was... Wait, you just... So it was a hobby. Did you have a day job? Uh, yes. Well, well, what was your day job? At that time, I was working for the LA Weekly. The newspaper? You I were was... a journalist, or <laughs> no? <laughs> like, wait a minute, what the fuck? <laughs> no, I was a full, I was a full time heroin addict, and <laughs> and the job was they would give me uh, this was before the internet and and email and all that shit. So I'd have to go from store to store to store that was taking out ads in the in the magazine and pick up their film, like you know their 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 oh, okay their ad that they had drawn up. And then they would get make get it made into a negative, or whatever, so so it could be printed. Yeah. So my job. So was everyone that you, you just told a story that and anyone that's under the age of twenty five has no idea what the fuck you're talking right. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I I actually had to go pick up the film. They would go get it, fucking, you know, lay it out, and then I have to go bring it back to them. They'd have to look at it to approve it, and then I have to bring it back. And then after that was done, a week later, I'd have to go collect the check. There was no wire money transfer. I'd have to go pick up the check. So I was just—I would just drive around for like five hours a day, but stretch, stretch it out to eight hours a day so I could do my heroin that's shit. A, that's, that's a lost art right there. Like that. 
with the Thomas Guide, like you had to figure shit out. A Remember Thomas the- Guide. No one knows what a Thomas Guide is anymore. <laughs> no, if you had to figure out how to get from A to B. Yeah. I like remember would, we had maps when we were started touring. We didn't have GPS. We didn't have fucking hmm. phones. We started touring with maps and the Thomas guides. Like, yeah, and payphones. You pull into a town and go, "Hey, man, I, I think we're lost. Where, where, where do we go off a payphone?" You know. <laughs> so, so, anyways, so yes, I had jobs, and I worked in factories. I worked in like just, just and and oh. Steve and, and this time Steve uh, was in the band for a couple of years and moving on. Yeah. That's where I I I, I, I swear yeah, to be there for a second. Melvin worked Melvin worked at Fred Siegel in the warehouse. Mike was off at college doing his thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So we were working. We were doing what you know what what young people do. Then Steve said, "Okay, metal is where it's at," you know. So he quit. We begged him not to quit, but he quit. El Jefe was a friend of mine. His real name's Aaron. He was a friend of mine. And I knew he was a really talented musician, knew nothing about punk rock, but I'm like, fuck it, let's give it a shot. So we tried him out, and he fucking killed it. And then yeah. the very first show we played with him was at Gilman Street. And I was like, oh, my, we had no idea how fucking funny he was going to be, his fucking <laughs> stage antics, his fucking impression, his impressions. We had no fucking idea. And playing the trumpet and stuff. So we're like, El Jefe is solely responsible for, I mean, Mike's songwriting and then El Jefe's personality when he came in for shifting us up a notch. Dude, that, that, I mean, that's a, I, I, I've met Aaron a few times now. He was out when we were uh, playing with Metallica in LA. He came out and, and, and I, I was there when he was making tacos, fucking warp Tour, and I was drunk as fuck and I, ate, I, I, I had like a couple extra tacos and everyone was like, dude, you ate all the tacos. It's like, oh fuck, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> LFA is the fucking best guy, like, Honestly, he's such a nice dude, and he's fucking he really hilarious. Is. And what you see is what you get. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's he's just a nice guy. There's no ego. There's no attitude. Just, and how did know. you know him before? You you mentioned that you knew him before, but how did you know? He, him? There was this house called the Fountain House. There was two houses actually: the Fountain House and the Tamarind House. That was just like a squat. There was like 15 people living in it. You know, just mm. a lot of drugs, a lot of booze. Just you know, there's two houses like just punk rock, just squat rat nests El Jefe lived at one of them and I lived at the other but we would like you know it just, would be yeah the, the, the houses was intertwined right the party would go from this house to this house you yeah, know back totally. and forth and then and then um, yeah just I just met him and Jefe was going to college he was never really in that and he wasn't into the drug scene he wasn't into the partying but he lived in there and you know it was cool That's he was a and every time I saw him I, I would say give me the fat little beaner and I'd beat him up <laughs> And just had this like ongoing joke, and you know, I just fucking pin down on the ground and press him and stuff. I guess that's only okay for you to say. I don't think I can say that. No, he's my fat little beaner. I can say that. I love the guy. No, dude. So there's a couple things uh, that I need to ask about. Like you've mentioned a few times, uh, the drugs, the alcohol that you guys had early. Um, and for you, I know that you're famously sober now. Uh, how many years do you have of sobriety now? 20, 27. That's that's a lot of years of sobriety. Congratulations on that. That's, that's awesome. Um, I just have to ask, like, what? How is it now? Like, over? I mean, it's been twenty-seven years, obviously, but I mean, it, it, you, we've seen everybody has seen Mike's battle with it, or if you even want to call it a battle, or just how Mike is with with drugs and alcohol. Um, and you're still in a band with him. So, what is that dynamic like? Obviously, you guys are still friends and play together like what is that like 
it's weird. It's like I love the guy like a brother, but um, it's weird because I have to keep a wall up and I have to keep a distance because he brags about how bad, how how awesome it is and all this and all that. But I see what it's doing to his life mm. and how he's like angry and grumpy and bitter a lot, you know. So it's him like overcompensating. And it's real easy for him to brag about how, how rad it is to do drugs when you have a lot of money in the bank, you know, because if you don't have a lot of money in the bank, people that get fucked up on drugs end up going to whatever means they can to get it. Right. And it's not, it's not good. And, and, and the fact of the matter is nothing good will ever come out of it. No. Like, like you will not. At that not- level, like there's, for me, like I, there's, there's a, like, a certain level of things. In it has touched dose. you. I know it has touched you in a very personal way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's touched me with a lot of friends and stuff. And when I see somebody like going like, "Oh, this is fucking awesome," I know what the end result is, and I knew what I felt like when I was doing it, and I know that that fucking lie is just a lie. Yeah. So it's it's really fucking hard. Yeah. You know. I'm so, yeah. They, they, as hard as it is, is it like? Uh, I mean, like you're set, you're talking about it right now. Like, it, it's just got to be. It's got to be difficult to see that, and like you said, I have seen that uh, personally, and it ended very badly. Um, it, do you still? Are you still able to talk with Mike on a regular basis? Like, is it like? Do you guys? And when you do, is it? Do you know that he's throwing up that guard, or is it just like? You can still I, connect I, with him on the on that level before. No, I, I, I kind of put a wall up. And, I mean, I love him like a brother. But until, like, I see him and he, and, and, like, you know, I see him probably once a month. I could go up to his house and re- record some shit or, or whatever, you know. Um, but it's not my lifestyle. You know, yeah. I've grown up. I've grown beyond. Not saying that his lifestyle is bad. It's just not mine. Gotcha, yeah. I mean, bad for me. And I, and I know the end result won't be good for him, but because I have a problem with drugs and alcohol, it doesn't mean I have to make my problem his problem, even though I know he has a problem. <laughs> but if he honestly came to me and said, hey, I need help, I would fucking drop everything. I would be there. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I would not let him down. Yeah. But until he's ready for that. Are you back, buddy? Can you hear me? Yeah, I had to go to my cell phone. <laughs> so, yeah, if you can turn it sideways, it's perfect. Well, I'm glad you weren't on for one of my live episodes. I guess. <laughs> that would have fucking... I, I, had, I, had my fucking I had my computer charged up to 73%. I was like, oh, okay, we're good. Yeah, it should have been, but, yeah, the conversation kind of kept flowing. So, <laughs> I just wanted to, like, there's a couple more things I was about to ask, and then I'll do this couple more things, and I'll let you go. Uh, but I was... Like we said, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous has, has been the, the tool for you to get sober. Um, uh, I'm very familiar with that. My father is uh, 30 plus years in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know one of the steps is to uh, apologize or, or make uh, amends. Make amends. Make amends, amends yeah. is what it is, yeah. And I, I just, you don't need to go into detail on that or anything like that, but I, I, I just have to ask a personal question. How... What were your amends, not specifically what were your amends, but how did you go about that? Like that was, uh, you know, as 
people who may not understand like your drugs and alcohol you've gone through that to to an extent you've probably harmed people at least in a uh, verbal bashing of some kind maybe it wasn't physical or anything like that but at least it's it's it's, it's it's even way deeper than that it's it's stuff like just my actions let's say I, let's say just by me being an alcoholic and an addict, just the uneasiness that it gave to my my sister, my brother, my mom and dad, or you know, it's I had to apologize and make amends to pretty much anybody that that cared about me then and that I cared about, and it was to clear my conscience and, my, and give them an honest thing. And if they accepted it, great. If not, it, it's up to them. The damage that alcoholism causes isn't just from like being a drunk pile of shit one night or wrecking the car, like obvious visible stuff. There's a lot of internal stuff. Like how many nights did my parents stay awake wondering where I was, you know, you know, it's a lot deeper than just, you know, I was an asshole and it was hard for me. It took me about five years to apologize to my dad. Because we had never ever had an, an open relationship where we could talk you about. You talked about that in the No Effects book too. It, right. It got into pretty great detail. I don't should go check that out if they haven't already. Uh, but yeah, uh, that actually segues me into one of my other questions I have for you is when you went into great detail about your relationship with your father um, in the book, had you talked to him about that release? Like, did you did like, did he know what you were going to say? And I know you guys are close now. How did he react to that? No, my dad's like a very big, strong, proud guy, but, but he covers that. That's his like big, like man's man kind of a thing, but it's because he's so soft inside. And, um, after I read the first draft of the book, I was like, fuck, I didn't think of any ramifications. I was just doing interviews and just talking mm-hmm. the stories with the guy, Jeff, that wrote the book. I was like, fuck. I mean, it was a huge part of my life, my upbringing and, and what I had to you know, go through. And I didn't want to pass it by because it explained a lot of my insecurities and drug problems and looking for attention. And, but I also didn't want to hurt my dad's feelings. Of course at all because we had crossed that bridge and actually become somewhat close. You know, it took 45 years, but we actually become like, okay, he's my friend. You know, we're good. Yeah. Really, really good. So my mom read a couple little snippets and she's like, you can't show this to your dad. It will kill him. It will absolutely kill him. And I was like, fuck, you know, I had a lot of remorse and a lot of like, a lot of, you know, uh, trepidation about putting it out. And then, but I just said, I have to, it's my story to tell and I have to. And yeah. so I, I just told my dad, I go, dad, the book's coming out. I highly suggest you don't read it, but if you do, please know that it comes around at the end, mm-hmm. you know, it comes around like it's not just all bad, bad, bad. And he goes, no, I'm not going to read it. I have no interest in reading it, you know? And, and so I'm glad he didn't. You know, and I'm sure some of his friends or some of my family probably said, hey, how did that make you feel or whatever? But it couldn't have made him feel good because he's just he's he would have held on to the he has a lot of guilt about the way he raised me. He he hasn't said it, but he said something to my mom once and my mom relayed it to me. She goes, he said, 
it's sad that I don't have any good memories of raising my children, you know? Yeah. So he has, he has a lot of guilt. So I don't want to rub, rub in on that, you know, because totally. we are where we are. Yeah. And, I, and, and as I said, it comes around in the book and in your life. I know now that like, you guys are good. Like you guys, like you just said, you're, you're friends. Like, and that's, that's what you want out of parenting. Like for me, I got a three year old son and we're friends. <laughs> that probably because I'm a fucking adolescent. So I'm like, yeah, I can hang out with a three year old, but like, <laughs> and that, that's kind of the relationship you want. And I'm glad yeah, you guys have that now. And, and when it came to making amends to my father, um, yes, I could have blamed him for a lot of the abuse that I went through. A lot of, I mean, I could have blamed all of my, I could have, I could have blamed all of my actions because you did this to me, but that's not what, what amends is about. Yeah. It's, it's about just saying, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I have a responsibility in this, uh, you know, dance as well, you know? And yeah, so that's what it is, is, is recognizing yourself too, right? That's right. part of that step. Right. You know, like, yes, there was a lot of bullshit I had to deal with, but it doesn't, doesn't make it okay that I was a fuckhead for fucking from the age of, of 16 to 27. Yeah. There was a, there was a, there was a different avenue that could have been taken. And, yes. Like, you know? So anyways, we're good now. And, and in the book, I, I express how neither one of us has ever said, I love you to each other. Yeah, that was one of the things. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you guys still to this day? I mean, no, I mean, I now. actually, I actually, my dad was going through a rough thing a couple years ago. Like, and I could tell he needed a little, like, pat on the shoulder. And I was like, okay, here it goes. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I go, hey, hey, pops. He was like, yeah. He goes, yeah. I go, I love you, man. And he still couldn't fucking say it. <laughs> he, goes, he, goes, he goes, yeah, 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 me too. And then that was the end of the conversation. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed and leave us a five-star review. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com and become a premium member. You'll get to enjoy unreleased clips from your favorite guests, discounts on merchandise in our shop, and access to our private Discord server where you can chat one-on-one with Johnny Christ himself. Awesome! So stay tuned, stay thirsty, and stay filthy as fuck. I love that it's, uh, you have to put the man at the end of it, too. I love yeah. you, man. <laughs> no. Yeah, like, like a fucking pat on the back. Like, it's cool, bro. <laughs> you know? But that was the first time. I mean, I was 50 years old at the time. That was yeah. the first time I've ever said it. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's, it's, that's different, man. Like, you, you, and you've chronicled it in the book. Everyone should go check out the Melfax book. It's, it's incredible. Um, Real quick, though, to kind of sidetrack from getting too heavy. Everyone, if you want all the heavy shit, just go fucking read and listen to the book. But uh, there's also, like, some fun stuff. You guys did the audio book yourself, like, each each chapter. So if, if you don't know about the book, there's chapters from each member of No Effects. And if you listen to audio books, which I do because I don't like to read anymore, it's <laughs> Uh, you you can hear Eric uh, speak his uh, his chapters through, and I just got asked how what was that experience like? Like you would, like you said, you did an interview basically to get this book made, and then it comes into words, and then now you're reading these words back. That's a really good question because <laughs> when we did the book, 
Like, it was just interviews. Like, you know, I probably did 40 hours of just conversation and interviews, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, so I read the first draft. And, and and I even read the book when it came out. And and it was real kind of like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, this is awesome. This is a great book. This is and, it, it, and I didn't feel like I was reading about myself. I felt like I was reading another story, you know? And then at one point, I was like, oh, fuck, this is actually me. You know, that's how good <laughs> of a book it is. Um, but when it came to actually sitting in front of a microphone in a room by myself and reading it out loud, it was like me putting my soul out to the public. It was yeah. me really exposing myself because beforehand it was just an interview. The guy put it in words and released it. It was just like any other interview, but it was just mm-hmm. a good book. This is actually me opening up and bearing a lot of my demons and a lot of my feelings and insecurities and shit that no one's ever heard before. It was really fucking weird and heavy, really heavy. That must have been, that must have been an experience because like you said, you're like, oh, it's out, whatever. You can, you can look the other way now, but when you had to actually read it back and see the, the quotes that you said, and, and I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people don't know this about a lot of those autobiographies that are written by, they eventually get edited and written by other people, right? Like that's, that's, that's how autobiographies are, are, are made. Right. Especially among uh, people like us who aren't novelists, you know, I mean, right. we're not, we're not fucking writing a thousand pages. So there's somebody else who does that job and they might take some liberties here and there. Um, but would you say your, your words were pretty well accurate? 100%. I mean, a, a lot of the, I remember the interviews and it was verbatim, you know, and he That's would tie it in with his sentences into, th- but it was, it was pretty much, you know, verbatim. And um, Jeff, the guy that Jeff Lewis, the guy that wrote the book had never written a book before. Wow, I didn't know that. That's he was the crazy. same guy that filmed Backstage Passport. He had never done a TV show before. Wow, that guy did... Okay, I didn't realize that was the same guy. That's incredible. I love Backstage Passport, by the way. I was watching that uh, when we were in Europe, and we actually went to Singapore shortly after that for the first time, and I saw you guys a Singapore episode there with Mike and... The, the Green and, Dragon. The Green Dragon episode. I was just like, this is fucking brilliant shit. Like this, I was so excited to see a band of your level or any level. This show what traveling really is like. Like there was a, there was a part of it that was tongue in cheek and kind of fun and like all that. But then like you had your tour managers in there. You like showed a lot of the back noise that happens to make shows go on and that was right like, and like lfa showing up fucking late as fuck with a fucking roasted chicken and shit like that like no, no instead of is, instead of uh instead, instead of rotisserie he called it roastisserie because roastisserie <laughs> chicken all that shit is fucking for real and we were playing korea hefe got lost and was walking the wrong direction to the club and some kid picked him up on a moped and like there was nothing scripted. It was all fucking real. And the whole premise behind Backstage Passport is like, let's go to these fucking weird places that not very many bands have gone through and let's just see what the fuck happens. Dude, what happens is exactly what happens to every fucking band. Maybe not right. exactly. We didn't get lost like Hefe did, but uh, we, we, we definitely like saw the similarities. We would have like... When, when bands tour in third world countries, and I don't care what fucking level you're at, Oh, it's the good. more third of the world, the more shit showy it kind of is. Oh, like, 100%. It's just freestyle. Like, like 
wait a minute, these are the barricades you want to fucking put up to keep 10,000 people? Oh, from dude, you? When, you, when you try and take our American crew over into those fucking places, our tour manager, our production manager, lose their fucking minds every time. Right. We're sitting in a hotel or backstage waiting to know if we're even going to be able to do that fucking show. Because they're arguing with the promoters the whole time. They're saying, oh, there's 3,500 people out here. Like, I know what 3,500 people look like. That's 7,000. And your barricades ain't going to do shit. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's, 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 it is, like I said, the poorer the country, the more of a, you know, because they have way less infrastructure and they just want to totally. fucking go. They want it to go. So it's really sketchy and it's really hit and miss, but that is what I really fucking like. That and that was the same fucking attitude that brought me into punk rock is the sketchiness, the what the fuck is gonna happen? Is this gonna work or is this not gonna work? You know, that yeah. is the same energy and the same excitement, the same like volatile fireball that's about to explode at I'm any so moment. glad you said that too, because I was just talking shit about it, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. When those moments happen and you actually do get on stage, like after all the turmoil, it might be an hour late, it might be whatever, but once you get on stage and you're in front of those fucking fans, it is a different feeling and it is so yep. much fun. Yep. And 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 even if the shows get like just whatever happens, if it's outside of the norm, if it's outside of the bus, club, play, bus, club, play, if it's like, whoa, something exciting and new and real, what, the, the building's on fire and we're still going on? Fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't agree with you more. So I, 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 mean, I got like two more things I want to touch on. First of all, how I got your number. I have a segment on this show. It's called Do You Know Brooks Wackerman? Because everybody knows that motherfucker. And you know, we, we fortunately got him in our band now after a long fucking list of legendary shit that he's done. I mean, I started my show a year ago, and every time I talk to somebody, uh, I, I talk to Brooks, and I'm like, oh, this is what we're going to have on the show next week. And he's like, can you ask him if that session that we recorded in 95 is still going to come out? And I'm like, how have you just done a session with everybody? So what is your relationship with Brooks Wackerman? Is, is what I'm getting at. My relation with Brooks Wackerman is, is I met him, I'm going to say in 1995. Okay. Um, he was a little kid playing drums on and off at the Vandals. Yep. And I just met him through the Vandals guys, you know? I just knew he was like this little prodigy ripper kid. And then when it came out that I found out that he was in that kid metal band, Bad, Bad for Good, or whatever the fuck oh, they were called. Bad for Good, uh, fucking promo pictures. I had yes. him on the show and I showed him to everybody. I had to. There were, he was a gorgeous It just, it just made woman. it that much, that, it made it that much better. And then, <laughs> so, so one of the first times I helped, I, I hung out with Brooks. I got to hung out with him, like, you know, through the Vandals, but I went over to his house and I needed to work on a drum part. And it was for that song, um, Heavy Petting Zoo's song Freedom Like a Shopping Cart. Oh, I, I love mean, that song. Yeah, yeah, the beginning is this like jungle beady kind of a thing and I had an idea in my mind but I couldn't quite get it out. So I went over to his house and, and hung out with him and did it. So then we became, like, you know, we figured it out. So then, you know, then we became more familiar with each other, like, you know, friends. And about a year after that, we were at the NAMM show. Mind you, he's like a 15-year-old kid at the time. We're, we're at the NAMM show and he's like playing with infectious grooves. He might've been 17, I don't know. He's yeah. playing with infectious grooves and, and I drove him there. 
and we're walking around and everybody's all oh, Brooks Wackerman, Brooks Wackerman. Yeah, because at 17, he still didn't have his license. I think he got his license. He didn't get his license until he was 25. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever driven with him? No, I haven't. Been, I'm not, not when he's, I've driven with him when I'm driving. I've never with been him driving. You still, you still shouldn't have his license. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I'm glad he wasn't around for the band days. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so we're there together and I think we're at the Zildjian booth and he's talking to some big, big fucking Zildjian, big wiggy kind of fucking suit and tie kind of guy. And, and our mutual friend Lumpy goes, dude, go get him, go get him. So I snuck up behind Brooks in the middle of the NAMM show and pulled his pants off when he was having a fucking yes. meeting. <laughs> and you know how he, you know how he is. He's pretty like shy and like physically like, ah, ah, like that. Yeah. You know? He's a little awkward. He's a little awkward, but yeah. like in, the, in the best way. And, he, and his his humor is there once you get to know him. It's just very dry and like it's, really it's dry and dark. Fucking <laughs> okay, real dark. That guy has sent me some texts of like you know those videos and you 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 get from a friend. You're like, do I really want to fucking open this one up? <laughs> <laughs> and. and and you open it up and you get a chuckle out of it, but then you're like, do I really want to send that off to somebody? What if they take it the wrong way? <laughs> totally. So anyways, I've known Brooks. So you pants him. And, uh, I and he was, was it, I got I to gotta know. See, he told me a little bit about this. So he said, make sure when you have Eric on the show, ask him about the time he pants me. Uh, I don't think he knew that I was going to go this far, though. When you did the pants, how good of a job did you do? Did you get the underwear, too, or was it... Uh, to be honest, that I don't remember. Okay. I, I want to say if I got everything, I would remember. I don't remember. But I do remember that he was 100% mortified. Like, <laughs> just, just said, like his entire body just turned beet red. Yeah. Like just <laughs> fucking more. And I actually felt kind of bad afterwards. And I usually don't feel bad about that kind of shit. Because I felt like. like well, again, you got to remember, uh, as you painted the story, he was like probably a 17-year-old kid at the time, too. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm pushing 30, and I'm picking on the guy in front of the fucking people he's trying to make money off of. And it's not just in front of, like, a suit tie kind of guy. If you've ever been to the NAMM show, there's 10 million people milling about in all directions. It's fucked oh, up. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the music convention. Like, if anyone doesn't know what NAMM is, but knows what Comic-Con is, it's that for music. It's right. Like, that's that's the whole thing. Right. So so not only did he get pants in front of like somebody that's you know he, like a, a working relationship with, there was easily within eyesight a hundred people like looking, you know what yeah. I mean? Like he was on stage pantsed. <laughs> and I, I love you know, that. I still feel kind of bad and about now, it. Now now you guys are like neighbors though, right? You both in Long Beach. Like, yeah. How close are you guys? Probably about a mile. About a mile. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we live we live in the same neighborhood, but uh, he's on one side, I'm on the other. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. I love that. Another, the last person that uh, I want to ask about was a mutual friendship. Um, I know that years ago, uh, Matt, our singer, started hanging out with you. You guys were golfing uh, uh, quite often, and I remember, like, I was like, "You're golfing with Eric? Like, that's." That's weird. Like I, I only saw him in passing on Warped Tour. Like you're actually befriending him. Like so, how did that come about? Fuck, I don't know. That's a good question. And I just golfed with him probably two months ago. Was the last time right, right before the shutdown. I probably yeah. golfed with him. Um, I, I, I don't remember. Oh, I think I do. 
when remember was it the John Reese? Uh, yeah, that that thing that that in San Clemente or whatever. Called, du uh, ducking for dollars, duffing for dollars. Yeah, and you like were there, and Matt I wasn't was there. there. Uh, Matt and Zach were. I didn't go. You sure I just you were started I just started golfing a year ago, so I had oh, not okay. been, been into that. Yet. And, and if I, I think, was there, I wasn't golfing. I was probably there just parking. <laughs> um. Yeah, so so I'm pretty sure, and that was probably 15 years ago, maybe not that long ago, 10 I don't know, I don't know. It was a yeah. while ago. And then, you know, it's like, oh, you golf cool, I golf cool, let's golf, then we golf. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, well, well, how, how is your game, and, and how would you compare it to Matt? I know Matt's game. I've seen him. We, so, backstory to the golf thing real quick. We were out on tour with a tour manager. Uh, the name is mistaken right now, and I it's not confessorial with somebody else, and now I can't remember. I should have written it down so I could fucking remember. Anyways, we he took us out golfing for the first time in some place in Arizona. None of us had fucking swung a club before. Right. Some of us took to it, i.e. Matt, and then some of us did it. <laughs> and he'd been doing that, and this was back when Jimmy was still with us. This was uh, on the... The White Album, our White Album, yeah. not, not the Beatles album. Not, not the Beatles album. White Album. <laughs> so it was probably like 2007-ish, I'd say. So like, And so Matt took to it, and he brings his clubs out on the road. Um, a few of us tried it a few times that way, and then just recently, I think I could safely say everyone in the band minus Brooks is pretty into golf at this point. So like... So I, I I say all that to bring up the fact that I know what where Matt's game is and over the 13 years and how competitive he can be out on the course. Um, how have your experience has been with him? Uh, golfing with Matt is super fun. I mean, super yeah. fun. We're, our game is comparable, about the same. He so, is so what's your handicap? Uh, I don't know right now, but I got down to an eight at one point. Wow. But but I'm but. And then that was like, I was really trying, got down to an eight, and then it leveled off at about a 12 or 13. Okay. Kind of like stayed there. But I, I haven't been golfing all that much. So right now, like if I golf, I'm high 80s, low 90s, you know? So like Matt, me and Matt's game's comparable. He, like we like when we golfed a couple months ago, I either beat him by one stroke or he beat me by one stroke. And my father-in-law kicked all of our asses. <laughs> Who's your father-in-law, and how is he just kicking everyone's asses? He's like—he's like, he, an 80-year-old man. That he, yeah, he's his, his name's Poppy. He's my wife's dad. He's an 80-year-old man, and he hits it 150 yards straight every time, and always always shoots. Isn't like, that fucking frustrating when you go out with someone who's just like you're trying to kill the ball and get like you get it fucking way down there, and by that stance, you end up spraying it a few times. And you just look and you're like, I'm doing it all wrong. I should just be fucking trying to be more consistent than fucking trying to kill the ball. And, and that's, okay. So I got my father-in-law hitting at 150 yards straight every time. Every shot is right where he wants it. It's not very long, far. And then there's Matt trying to bomb at 300 yards, but then it goes left, it goes right. He, sometimes he does it, sometimes. And then there's me in the middle that I can only hit my drives like 220, 225. But it's straighter than Matt's. But... Yeah. But Matt's closer to the pin when he's not in trouble, but I'm I'm straighter. So that's where our game kind of levels out. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you say 225, I'm like, that's 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 solid, man. Like for me, I've only been I've only been seriously playing for about a year now. And like my game is absolute garbage. But it's gotten better over the year. Uh, and like I I did hit my longest drive 
was at a charity thing, and it was when I very first started out. I had a cigar in my mouth. I have a video of it somewhere. And I had been I had played probably five rounds of golf, and I was it was a it was a best ball kind of tournament. So right. it didn't really matter what I did. I was just out there drinking and smoking. Cigars. Yeah, fine. Exactly. So, and that's what got me into golf. When I realized that that was kind of a big part of it, I was just having fun. I was like, oh, I could get into that. Getting outside and hanging with friends. I'm in. Yeah. So I, I pulled a Happy Gilmore. I looked at the camera and said, rip it and rip it with a cigar in my mouth. Came back, smacked it. Now this, this part isn't going to be as exciting to people because they're like, oh, he smacked it through your yes. No. This was very far from me. It's still my farthest drive. It's 265. That's fucking insane, dude. (laughs) If I hit the ball 265, I would fucking have a boner and fuck my own ass. (laughs) And I didn't, it was pure luck. It was like stupid. Like we already had a great drive with our foursome. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm going for it. That's huge, man. It was complete luck. That's that's the part like when people played a long time, have never hit a hole in one, and then like someone comes out like after a few months and just like, hits a hole in one, you're like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I hit I hit one time and one time only. I don't know what the fuck happened. We were on tour. We were in San Luis Obispo. I hit a 300-yard drive. Wow. It was, it was a beautiful draw, and it had a nice draw to it. I'm not, I, I don't hit the ball that far. It was just one of those things where all the mechanics came together. I didn't have a tight grip on the ball. I wasn't trying in the club. I wasn't trying to control it. And then I birdied the hole. And then I have never, ever done that again. It's yeah. all between two and two thirty. God, that game is just so frustrating. And then like, when you have those one, you will have every round, you will have at least one shot that keeps you coming back because the rest That's- is so frustrating. And then like that one shot is like, that was that feeling was so good. I wanted Dude, to come back for that. <laughs> when you're 150 yards out and you're looking at the pin and you take whatever club you take, for me, 150 yards, that would be my six iron. And you hit it and it's crisp. And the second it leaves the face, you're like, oh, that's it. And you just watch it go exactly to where you wanted it to go. Yeah. It's a fucking pretty, pretty gnarly feeling. It's a fucking gnarly feeling. <laughs> I totally agree. Do but you then, surf at all? I, I yeah. surf. Yeah, I surf all the time. As a matter of fact, I shape surfboards. You shaped surfboards? I've been shaping for 12. That? Yeah, I've been shaping for Dude, 12 years. I got, I got, I got, I got to get you to shape the board for me. That'd be fucking insane. I would love I, that. I'm shaping right now. I got uh, 11 boards on the rack that I'm shaping. Dude, that's fucking incredible. I had no idea. That's a rad. So that's that. That brings me to my last question and point here because we were going off on a tangent of golf. I started surfing when I was 25, lived here alone. I'll keep going with that backstory, but I didn't start surfing until I was 25, so about 10 years ago. I'm still trash at it. But like you, I equivocate, and you can correct me if it's not the same for you, but golf and surfing have a lot of similarities that you wouldn't necessarily think, right? Because you have to stay consistent with it, and like, and it is always that one wave that keeps you coming back, or that one shot. You're, you're absolutely right. You're, you're, I never thought about it because it's a steep learning curve. Both of them is a steep learning curve. You know, there's a lot of elements working against you, and and when you get that one wave or you get that one shot to where it just it just puts something in your soul where you're like, oh my god, oh my god, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, yeah, there, there is a lot of similarities with that. I never yeah. thought about it, but there is. 
I, I thought about it like when I started golfing, I was like, dude, this is, this is like that same feeling in, in a different way. It's not the exact same feeling, but like you said, it's, it puts something in you that you're just like, oh, fuck. It's almost out of body, but you're still there. You're like, there's, you're not there's, a great way, but when you make like an impossible shot, you're like, fuck. Because there's so much, like, like you're, you're, this is kind of weird. Like with surfing, there's all of these things that have to come together. The wind, the tides, the swell, the direction of the swell, your paddle, your timing, all this shit. And golf is sort of the same thing too. You have your games, what the balls land, you have, is there a bunker in front of you, know, all this kind of shit. That all of these things, that when it comes together and you're doing everything properly as you should, it's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, when the stars align for that moment, and both of us know uh, what it's like when the stars align for music. Like, the stars align for no effects, the stars align for Avenged Sevenfold. And, dude, you, again, thank you so much for being on the show. You have no idea what this means for my fucking 12 year old self. Like, this is fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you go. I know you got other shit, you got some points to show, apparently. Uh, I can't wait to see those and hang with you again uh, in person when this pandemic goes, uh, goes away for and we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Cool, right. man. Well, listen, I mean, if you want to paddle out, like I was just right before I did this interview, I did this thing, I was at Cliffs checking the, checking the waves. That's Dude. where I surf every day. Rad. I would love to. I haven't been out in about a year, but and I'm not in shape for it, so you could just laugh at me the whole time. It's a good time. Bring out a longboard and paddle around. Yeah, that's oh, dude, that's how I started surfing. <laughs> All right, brother. All right, man. I appreciate you, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon, man. Pleasure. All right, man. Have a good one. Adios. That'll just about do it for this episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thanks so much for checking out and listening to this podcast. And thanks to Eric for joining us here. It was a great chat, and I couldn't thank him enough. Uh, as a huge fan of Eric's and as a friend, thank you. Uh, make sure if you enjoy what you're hearing, you are subscribed to the podcast right here. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. And go ahead and follow us at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Drinks with Johnny. And go stop by the Drinks with Johnny website, drinkswithjohnny.com, for exclusive merch. We're going to be adding a lot of stuff to that very, very soon. Um, as well as you can sign up for the Drinks with Johnny newsletter. Um, I'll be posting out um, email blasts uh, periodically, usually on Thursdays with a Thirsty Thursday newsletter. And uh, yeah, that's coming from yours truly. Just giving you news and some behind the scenes looks at some of our episodes. As well as offering you when you sign up for the newsletter 20% off anything on the .com store uh, that includes the custom base uh, my Schechter custom base that is up there so yeah it's a pretty good deal and uh, all you have to do is sign up for the newsletter uh, again I had a great chat with Eric um, I wanted to leave you guys here um, there's so many songs I could have picked from the NoFX catalog as you guys know it's huge and it's all very very good but I decided for whatever reason tonight I'm going to go ahead and pick out Freedom Like a Shopping Cart off the Heavy Petty Zoo record. If you haven't already heard that record, make sure you go out of your way and listen to it. Um, this is one of my favorite songs from the album. And uh, for whatever reason today, it was just speaking to me. So here it is, Freedom Like a Shopping Cart. And as always, till next time, cheers.
radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, PROH Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.